tonight, how do we know the Bible is truth, uh, that it is God's Word? Now, depending on your background, uh, that may be an easy thing for you to agree to. It may be very difficult for you. Uh, we come from very diverse backgrounds. If you've grown up in church uh, and you're familiar with the Word of God and, and you uh, have had read the Scripture and you've interacted with that in your life, it may not be a reach for you. But I, I would imagine almost everyone uh, as somewhere in their spiritual journey, when you get serious about serving God and really dealing with the world we live in, you're going to have to come to a place, probably a crossroads in your life, maybe a crisis point, where you're going to have to choose, do I believe the Bible is the Word of God or not? Now, that, that has probably never been under more attack than it is right now in our culture. Uh, never has it been under more attack. And let me say this, even in the church, I don't think it's ever been under more attack. Not this church, but in the church at large. Uh, we're, we're in a culture where people do not want to accept absolute truth. That means, in other words, everything is relative. There are, there are no absolutes. You, you can't say, this is always true for everyone. What our culture wants to say, it may be true for you, but it's not true for me. It's called situational ethics. What we've done is that we want to say uh, truth changes according to my emotions and my situation. And there's a problem with that because if that's the case, then we never know what truth is. You know, we'll, we'll never know. And it's even crept in, you know, a little bit of our, uh, even some of the most simple things. It's really even, uh, well, I'm trying to think of nicer words, imbecilic to, to tell a child learning math that two and two is approximately four. It's four, you know. It's not approximately four, it's four. It's, it's that. And so we, we, we deal with this in, in almost every area. The reason this is so fundamentally important is because the, it, the Bible is the foundation for everything you believe as a Christian. It's under a, a incredible attack because, again, our culture does not want anyone to have a final authority. We want to be our own gods. You know, we, we're, we're, this culture we live in today is like Eve in the Garden of Eden where the serpent said, so Eve, can you eat of this? And she said, no. She knew. God said, I can't touch that tree. And, and uh, first he said, did God really say that? She said, yeah, he did. And then and she said, because if we eat it, we'll die. And then the serpent said to her, you're not going to die. It's the very thing we face today. What we're being told is that we're questioned, is this the word of God? And if you say, yes, it is, then the next question is, uh, well, there's no consequences. It's really not, you know, God doesn't really mean what he said. You know, it's kind of scare tactics. And then the third thing the devil said to her, he says, well, the reason God doesn't want you to eat of the fruit is because then you're going to be like him. So God's holding out on you. And so what happens to us today is that we're, we're basically instructed and, and, and we're, it's pressed upon us from every direction that, uh, you know, we're God. We, we, you know, God, we don't need God to tell us. We, we want to eat the fruit. We want to know what he knows. We're, we want to be on his level. And so we have to lessen his word if we're going to do that. So very quickly, just a little introduction in case you're brand new to Scripture. Uh, wh what is the Bible? Why, why, why do we have the Bible? God, uh, and, and I'll go through some things. I'll try to not be any more detailed than you want me to be. I'll try not to give you, you know, uh, what, what, you know tedious PhD level minutia information. I'll try to hit the high points and keep you interested tonight, all right? But let me tell you something. This is a question you deal with every day in your life. Every, I want you to understand that. Whether you realize it or not, 
this, what we're going to talk about tonight, you deal with every single day. It affects every decision you make. There's not many things I can say that about. Every decision you make, every day you live, we come back to this issue, where is the word of God in my life? Where, where do I place that? How do I honor it? So, so what did God do? He, he revealed himself to us through scripture. Uh, he, through revelation, I'll define some of those terms. Uh, he selected certain individuals to record what the Holy Spirit was giving them. And, and the Bible was written through these human um, scribes. Uh, was written primarily, the Bible is divided into two sections. The Old Testament and the New Testament. Or you could call it a covenant, the old covenant and the new covenant. So, so what are those two? Well, the old covenant, God has only made two covenants in that fashion with us about how to approach God. The old covenant was the, uh, included the, the Mosaic law primarily about how to approach God before Christ through the nation of Israel, through law and ritual, regulation, the old covenant. That was the only approach to God before Christ. But since Christ came, born of a virgin, lived a sinless life, died on the cross in our place, paid for our sins, three days later ascended back to heaven, remains there at the right hand of God. Now Jesus said that his blood made a new covenant or a better covenant. So we no longer are responsible to live by the guidelines of the old covenant. We have a new and better covenant when we put our faith in Christ. But the Old Testament is still scripture and we learn from it and we grow from it. So we have these two covenants. The... um, the, Old, the uh, Old Testament primary language, it was written in the original language was Hebrew. The primary language the New Testament was written in uh, is Greek. There are uh, about 40 different authors that God used over a period of 1,600 years. It's amazing to see the unity of this book. You read it, if you weren't familiar with that, over 1,600 years, 40 different authors, human authors, really not authors, scribes, those that wrote it down, one author, God, and yet it reads... Like one person wrote it because he did, God. And so, so what we have is, is that the, the uh, New Testament was primarily comprised, written and, and recorded, put together between 50 and 100 A.D. During the early life of Christ, the verbal or eyewitnesses were enough. But as they began to die and time began to go off, they began to, under the Holy Spirit's direction, to write and record the Word of God. It was Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And then following that, the book of Acts, also written by Luke, which recorded the beginning of the history of the church. Then you go through the epistles or letters to churches and Christians that the early apostles founded. And then John on the island of Patmos was given the revelation, the book of, we call the book of Revelation, and of what of things that would come in the future. Um, the Bible, out of all books of antiquity, is the most documented and verifiable book that exists in the world today. There are more documents, manuscripts, old writings that have been discovered that agree and confirm one another of any book that you have available to you written and and with sources back into antiquity. Uh, Until 1948, the oldest Old Testament manuscripts we had were uh, between 900 and 1200 A.D. In 1948, uh, a Bedouin shepherd who had lost some of his sheep wandered into a cave in Israel and fell through the floor of the cave. Uh, and, and realized that there was a compartment there uh, hiding something. He, the, these uh, clay vessels are there. They opened them up, and that's where you heard the term the Dead Sea Scrolls were found. These Dead Sea Scrolls went back several hundred years earlier than anything that, that someone had found at that time, and miraculously, 
amazingly. Uh, it was a, the, these scrolls were identical to the ones that they had had before that time, continuing to affirm the authenticity of God's Word. Now, let me be honest. A lot of people say, well, to, you know, what makes it different than any other book? It's just a book. Men wrote that book. Well, did men write it or did, God, did men write what God led them to do? We're going to look at some of that. Is, is this just a fairy tale? Is it fable? Is it, uh, how do we know that it's true? How is this, you know, 1,600 years, 40 different scribes or, or those that transcribe what God said, how do we know they didn't make a mistake? How do we know, you know, how do we know those kinds of things, Pastor? These are the questions that we have. And so we, we, we look into the scripture itself. We look into evidence surrounding it. Again, one of the great evidences are these older texts. Uh, the, the original ones are called the autographs or the original documents. Now, we don't have those. But what we have are, are documents that began to be transcribed or written from them very soon after, and they just stay uniform. The Dead Sea Scrolls, we, we found several hundred-year gap, and they're exactly the same. Uh, I believe God is big enough and great enough and sovereign enough to keep his hand on those who were recording those scriptures over that time. It comes back to, do we have faith in God and that he is able to do what he said. Let, let's, let's look at some scripture. I want you to look at these with me. So let's go to Hebrews chapter 4 and verse number 12. Hebrews 4, 12. Let's look at these four New Testament scriptures uh, that are very important in, in framing our understanding, our concept, is the Bible the Word of God? Uh, all right, let's, let's look at this. Uh, Hebrews chapter 4, look at verse 12. For the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing uh, soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Go back to the first sentence. For the Word of God is living and active. So there's a declaration about the Word of God that literally it, it is not just a ink on paper. It's not just a book man wrote. There's life in this book. Now, and um, the next scripture, we'll see how that goes. So the Bible claims of itself that it is not just a history book. It is a book whose words have life in them. Now, what does that mean? I'm going to read a scripture. Now, let me say something to help you here. The Bible is not, I want you to get this. I don't believe there's any error in the Bible. The Bible is true entirety. It, a lot of people say today, well, I believe it contains truth. You see the difference in that? So if it just contains truth, that means some's truth and some's not truth. So who gets to decide that? That's the danger. So the Bible is true. It is without error. But the purpose of the Bible, people get frustrated with what the Bible doesn't say. God did not have these men write the Bible, record his word, to be a history book, to be a science book, to be a sociology book. The Bible is written to reveal God to man. So there's not going to be a record of every human being that was ever born. You understand? This is an ancestry DNA. You can go buy that now, right? Do you get that? This, everything it says is true. But the goal of the Bible is not just a history book. It's the revelation of God. The goal of the Bible is not science. It's the revelation of God. Now, the, the, the uh, genealogies in the Bible are correct. The facts in the Bible are correct. And it's interesting that the longer we go and people think, aha, we found that this place where God said, where the Bible says there was a city is not there. And, you know, 40 years later, somebody's digging around, there it is. So it continues to be affirmed. But the, the, the goal of the Bible is to reveal God to man. 
That was, that was why God gave it, so he could reveal himself, his will and his purpose to us. And the word of God is living and active. So let's go to 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy, the third chapter. Living. What does this living thing mean? All right. Let's, let's look in verse 16. 2 Timothy 3, 16. This is a really critical scripture to get this and understand this. 2 Timothy 3, 16. What does this mean? The, the word of God is living and active. It's, it's a living word, all right? 2 Timothy 3.16. All Scripture is God-breathed, all right? It's the living word. What does that mean? And is useful for what? Teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. All Scripture is God-breathed. The very same... Uh, Verbiage uh, translated from, you know, or, or the Old Testament verbiage into the Greek of the New is this. God breathed. What is that? The very picture when God created Adam and he was a perfect human body but lifeless. And the Bible said he picked Adam up and breathed into his nostrils life. And the life of God came into Adam. He became a living soul. Well, the very same thing is that this word is not just a word that a group of men wrote. Moses didn't get up one day and say, you know, my job today is write a little scripture. That's not how that worked. God led these men. We'll read another verse. They were under his direction. He breathed his life in this word. Literally, when you're reading the Bible, you are reading the words of God. There's no shelf life. In other words, the same, I want you to get this. You have to understand this. The same power is still available and in these words as when God audibly said them the first time. You understand that? They're not watered down, trickled down. This is the word of God. And when you say it as a Christian under the anointing of the Holy Spirit, you're releasing the life of God just like God speaking that. Is that amazing? That's a pretty lukewarm, amazing, you talk like God. Amen. I, mean, I don't think we get that. I don't know if we want to get it. I don't know if we want it. I don't know if we really want to understand what this carries. How we should be concerned about how we talk and what we say. This is the word of God. It's living and active. God breathed it. He breathed the life of God, the nature of God, the spirit of God are in the words of this Bible. And when you speak them, pray them, release them, that comes. It's amazing. Uh, can, can I tell you this? The wisdom of God is in these words. The knowledge of God. You know what the, uh, Proverbs says? That wis the wisdom of God is greater than silver and gold. The knowledge of God is more valuable to you than rubies and diamonds. And we run around and chase all these things in life. And the Bible tells us that they're there in God's word for us. If we'll begin to walk in these things. All right. So let's go to... Uh, 1 Peter chapter, or 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 21. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 21. Let's go to verse 20. 2, 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 20. All right? 2 Peter 1, 20. I want you to see how this works, all right? I got these questions coming. Where are you finding that? Okay, you're asking me about specific questions, and I'll like one. Some of these are going to be about creation. I'll try to get to those. I'm trying to really stay with scripture. 
uh, or, or, you know, early things. Uh, creation would probably be a good study. Uh, evolution and creation. Would you all like to know about that biblically? Would that be something you'd like to study? Uh, there's a lot of information you've never been given. Uh, okay, one thing it says, if the whole book is from God, why did the Protestants remove books? The Protestants didn't remove the books. The Catholics added the books. You got that? The Protestants didn't remove books from the Bible. The Catholic, the apocryphal books, the, those are books between the Old and New Testament, were never recognized by the Protestant church. Those were added by the Catholic church. Okay? So there are books, if you read the Catholic Bible, it's different than, than, this, than, than the Bible. That they have some extra books that the Catholic church has recognized that the Protestant church never recognized. So the Protestant church didn't remove them. The Catholics added them. Okay? All right. So, 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 20. Above all, you must understand. So that's pretty important, above all, right? Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture. Now, there's, we have the, there's the gift of prophecy. There's the office of prophet in, in the church today, right? We see that in the New Testament church. Is there a prophetic word? Yes. Is there the office of prophet? Yes. But what here, here he's making a distinction. I want you to get this. That the prophecy of Scripture... Word of God, Scripture is above prophecy or a prophet. Everybody understand that? Every prophet or prophecy today must agree with the Word of God. It's the highest authority. So, so when he said, so we, there, according to the New Testament, there is a gift of prophecy. And it's speaking forth, what is it? Edifying, exhorting, encouraging the church, right? There's even the office of prophets, somebody that moves in those gifts and, and, and speaks and has insight and prophetic wisdom for the church. But here we're talking about the prophecy of Scripture. See a different level? That's the written Word of God. That's, that's, that's the highest authority. Everything. See, the Holy Spirit will never disagree with the Word of God because it was the Holy Spirit that brought the Word of God to us. So Scripture and the Holy Spirit will always be in agreement. Everybody with me? Okay, I'm going to try you one more time. Everybody with me? Okay. So in other words, we, we, we are a charismatic or Pentecostal church. We believe in the present-day gifts of the Holy Spirit operating. That's where the word charismatic comes from, the spiritual gifts, charismata. We are a charismatic church. We believe everything you read in the New Testament is still in operation, but that doesn't mean we say anything goes. It means Scripture is our authority, and we're going to weigh everything and judge it by Scripture. Let me help you with something. I, I, I don't mean to be ugly, but I don't care if you got goosebumps. If it doesn't agree with the Word of God, it's not true. But, Pastor, it felt so good. Well, you just get in the back rub, but it wasn't the Word of God. Right? But I got a goosebump when they prophesied over me. I don't put your coat on, but it, you, it's not God. I mean, you understand? We're going to go for Scripture, the Scripture, Scripture. You understand? We don't, we're not wavering off that because it's everything I'm teaching you. If we let any situation, any circumstance, any personality, anything come contradict Scripture, and we accept that instead of the Word of God, then where do we go and where do we stop? It there's no, okay, all right. So look at this. Above all, you must understand that, that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation. See that? This prophecy of Scripture wasn't the prophet's interpretation. It wasn't the view of man. It wasn't so, what some man said he wanted to do. For prophecy never had its origin in the will of man. But men spoke from God as they were carried along. This word carried along is a very strong word. It literally means that God sovereignly put his hand on them 
and oversaw them. They were carried along as he revealed his word to them and as it was recorded. So it didn't originate with man. It wasn't because of the will of man. It, it wasn't something man wanted to do. It wasn't a man thing. It's God. The source of the word is God. He oversaw. He carried along these human uh, scribes that would, that would bring his word out. I think part of the reason that we struggle in our culture today that's so secular to honor scripture, number one, is that man wants to do his own thing. And so if we say this is the word of God, then I'm bound to do what it says. If I ever admit this is God's word, then, then, then I have to line up with it. So if I don't want to do this, if I want to chart my own course and do my own thing, I'm going to fight this tooth and toenail. Because if I admit this is the word of God, then I have to do what this says. Whether I like it or whether I don't like it. That's the number one reason that, I don't want to, that, that we deal with this today. And then the second reason is, is this book was inspired. You read it, God breathed by the Holy Spirit. Men and women that are not born again do not have the Holy Spirit living in them. You're spiritually dead, the Bible says. So when you read a book of the Spirit and you're trying to just have a history book or a science book or a sociology book or a psychology book, with a carnal mind, and you don't have the Holy Spirit helping you understand, you're never going to get all this book. The Bible says, in, in, in first, Second Corinthians, it says, the carnal-minded man, the man I was, the man you were, the woman you were before you were saved, cannot comprehend the things of God because they're spiritually discerned. So, I mean, the Bible's clear about that. And if I'm not born again, I'm not going to really get the thing. I have to have the Holy Spirit to help me read the Bible. Have, did you ever read the Bible before you were saved? Did you, how many anybody ever did it? Was that like reading a foreign language? I mean, really, it was like, what are they getting out of it? I mean, you know? And then you get saved, and what happened? Oh, that's what that means. Are you with me? What happened? This is a book authored by the Holy Spirit, revealed by the Holy Spirit. And I think that's, that's such an important thing. So uh, let, me, let me give you some terms here. And I'm, I'm, I'm trying to follow questions to look at this both. But I've, I've got a couple of things to show you. I know we're going to encourage you. So it, it goes to this. So, so we believe the Old and New Testament, okay, are inspired by God. It's God's revelation of himself to man. And, it, and it's, here, here's, here's what happens. And, and if it's God's revelation to us, then it becomes our uh, direction or our rule of faith for how we believe and how we conduct ourselves. Now, that's where people get tough or don't like it. Because then you mean the Bible tells me how to conduct myself? Yes. Yes. That's the struggle. Come on, Pastor. Look, look. I, I don't want to do, you know, what is the, you know, all the stuff you hear. This is, this is 2018. Come on. See, as if that book's too old to work in 2018. That's what you're saying. Come on, man. This is 2018. Or you're, you're going to say, well... Uh, it seems to me like, don't we hear that? Or I don't think, if it were me, well, it, thank God none of us wrote the Bible. Okay, If it were me, it doesn't seem to me, I don't feel like, I don't think. And you hear these in church today. How do, you know, this is supposed to be spiritual. How do we know it's the word of God? Well, what does it say? What have you believed? Have you given God an opportunity? I'm going to give you one of my most undeniable proofs, I believe. I, I was fascinated this week. I was watching, you know, uh, there was a movie, uh, the movie uh, Unbroken. Uh, what's the guy's name? Zampezi? Is that his name? 
Okay, you know, the World War II uh, prisoner of war survivor, an incredible, incredible story. But, uh, and the story ends with him coming home. But the rest of his life story was that after coming home, he accepted Christ as his Savior. And that happened in the Billy Graham crusade. And so there's a new movie, I think it's coming out Friday, called Redemption. And it's going to pick up this story from when he comes home, his salvation, how that happens. So this should be very good. But, but because that, all this is, you know, a lot of this in the media again, there, there was a special on Billy Graham. And I thought it fascinating. I saw this either Monday or Tuesday, and we're looking at this tonight. And Billy Graham was going through this process, and he said that there was a, a debate began in his inner circle as a young evangelist starting. In his inner circle, one of his best friends said to him, Come on, Billy, you can't really believe that is the Word of God. I mean, Billy, how do you know? What, 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 how do you know? The guys, every one of us had to wrestle with some points of faith. I have. You have, if you'll be honest. And, and how do you walk? What do you do? How do I know? How can I be sure? It's that struggle. Am I going to, am I going to live within the limitations of George Sawyer? Am I going to, let, am I going to trust God? So Billy Graham's wrestling with this. Is this the word of God? How do I know it's the word of God? To the point where he says, I've got to have a decision or I can't preach. I can't stand up and preach if I don't believe this is the word of God. So finally he goes to the story, has an encounter with God. and it, it, a long process, It's a process, praying, seeking God, up at night, work, walking through the, the, the area where he was staying. And he said, finally he laid his Bible down and, and, as walking at night sleeplessly and said, God... I, I know what I've seen and heard and read, and I have to make a decision. And I am say, I say to you tonight, I believe you, I believe the Bible is the word of God. I believe this is your word. I accept that. I believe that. He said that when he said that and came to that place, and he, he said really nothing else had happened. He struggled and prayed and questioned and talked, debated. He just said, I choose to believe this is your word. He said a peace came over his life. A grace came in his life. The interesting thing, I don't have time to go through the whole story, but, but uh, it, his next crusade was the one in Los Angeles that revolutionized his ministry and what he did for the rest of his life. They, they had this massive tent called the Canvas Cathedral. <laughs> and uh, it was there that, that his ministry just turned, it, it, it exploded. It's when the newspapers and the magazines happened and the, the crusade kept going on and on and on. And he called his mother and back in North Carolina and said, Mother, I don't know what to do. I preached every sermon I know. And, and we're still having more nights. I don't know what I'm going to do. She said, you, God will help you. You can get in that Bible and pray. But what happened, his decision to say, I accept by faith this is the word of God, was the precursor for his ministry exploding. It was the confidence and the faith. And he said after that, what, one of the things Billy Graham was known for is, is saying, the word of God says, the word of God says, the word of God says. He said that he would get Bibles. Now, some of you would get, some people are more upset about what the Bible represents than the Bible. What I mean by that. I've had some people say, uh, oh, I'll never write my Bible because it's too holy. If that's how you feel, you're cool, we're cool. But I don't care if you write it or not. I'd just like for you to read it. You understand what I'm saying? Or somebody, don't touch it, it's holy. Whoa, what it says is holy. That's just a book somebody printed. Does that make sense? I'm like, come on, don't get creepy. I mean, it's not a magic foot, rabbit's foot. You understand? This isn't magic. What it says is powerful. Come on, don't get, see what I mean? That's religious. Faith says, I'm going to believe that. 
Religion says, oh, let's leave it on the coffee table and grandma's name's in it. And when somebody gets married, we're going to write their name in it. And, and don't, 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 don't touch it. Don't put your glass on that. Curse nobody in the family's read it in 18 years. But don't put a glass on it. I don't care how dirty it is. You read it every day. You can put your glass on it. You can write on it in green ink. I don't care. Did you read it? Everybody with me? If I offended you, I'm sorry. I'm not trying to be offensive, but I'm trying to get you to think about what we're doing here. All right. So here's the thing. There's going to be a time in your life and, and, and where, where I have to make a decision. God, am I going to believe you? Am I going to take your word by faith? So hear the words. Let me give you a couple, three words here. Hear the words. We believe, I believe the Bible is inspired. That means what I've read to you, that God guided the writers of Scripture by the Holy Spirit. That he influenced their thoughts, that he influenced their actual choice of words, that he used their, who they were and their life and where they've been. You can see the different flavors of the different authors, but it's inspired. Their work was not of their own will or origin. God revealed his will to them and they recorded it under divine inspiration, led of the Holy Spirit. Not just some of what they wrote. All of what they wrote. That means inspiration. There's another word. It's infallible or inerrant. That simply means there's no error. There's no error in it. We believe that's the word of God. There's no error in it. Now, that's in those original autographs, the original manuscripts. Could somebody somewhere have done that? But again, as you come through, you find them agreeing again and again and again. It's without error. That's all scripture. The final thing I think is where man really struggles is the authority of Scripture. That means through Scripture, God revealed His will for what we believe and how we behave. And so I come back to this. And this is, this is what we're, you know, working with today is that people will say, well, you know, what, how I behave is my business. How I behave is left up to me. I believe in God, but my behavior is my choice. See the difference in that? If you believe the Bible is the authority of God's word, it not only tells me what I believe, it tells me how I behave. And the good news is it gives me the power to behave correctly. The Holy Spirit, the Bible says the Spirit of God is working in us to know and to do the will of God. Aren't you thankful? The Holy Spirit's working in us to do that. And people struggle with the, with the behavior part. I, I, I could go through, uh, I, I don't know if I, uh, there, I've got several things I could I could show you, uh, let's go, go to Galatians 3.16. I, I watched Paul work with something so mighty. I'm just trying to give you the confidence, Galatians 3.16, how accurate the Word of God is today. Galatians 3.16. I, I think this is fascinating, how Paul, how minute, even the tense, T-E-N-S-E, the tense of a word. See, I'm trying to give you confidence. Paul wanted to make sure we get this. Ephesians, I'm pardon me, Galatians 3.16. Look at this. He's talking about the promise by faith, saved by faith. Galatians 3.16. The promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. The scripture does not say and to seeds, meaning many people, but and to your seed, meaning one person who is Christ. You, you see what I mean? He's quoting scripture and he said, look at this. He said, the Bible doesn't say seeds. It's not nebulous. It's not sort of, kind of. The Bible's not close. It's not two and two equals sort of close to four. Right? He said, what the Bible said was seed. And there's a big difference in seed and seeds. Seeds in this, 
would be the promises to many people. He said, no, the promise was to the seed of Abraham, which is Christ. You see the point I'm making? He's making a big deal out of that word that was way back over here in the Old Testament and how accurate that is even to that day. He said that even the tense of this word makes a difference. That's how accurate God's word is from the old carried over into the New Testament. It, it, it's pretty amazing. So that, that's what God does. So here, let, let me make this statement, all right? And I'm going to look at a couple of questions here. Let, let me make this statement. This is, so how did, how did inspiration happen? Think through me. I want to think through with me. This is it, all right? God, this is revelation. What is revelation? God communicated to the mind of these human writers, all right? That's revelation. God communicated thoughts just like he talks to you. You know, and the Holy Spirit leads and guides you. Revelation. What did it mean? God did what? Communicated to the mind of the writer, okay? This is what I want you to write. Then the Holy Spirit guided the words they wrote down. That's inspiration. God revealed to him, this is what I want you to do. As they said yes and begin to work, what happened? They were inspired, carried along above their own will to record the words God gave them. Listen to this. But through the present day activity of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is revealing to you and I the exact truth of what he revealed to those men when they wrote it the first time. So the same Holy Spirit that revealed the truth and inspired their accuracy is now revealing to you and I the meaning of those words they wrote. You understand that? You can understand the Bible. You can understand what it says. So I know I'm giving you some details, but I'm, I'm just wanting you to get this. It's, it's, it's clear and it's powerful. Let, let me give you something here. that, that I, I, there, A history records the accuracy of this. Jesus quoted the Old Testament. Uh, I, I mean, it goes on and on. But let me, for some of you science buffs, okay? I brought this for you, all right? Uh, so you say, okay, well, if the Bible says it's true, come on, it's saying it's true itself. What's some outer in the source? L listen to this, okay? Uh, what is this, the study of probability? Okay, I want to help you with this. Probability could also be known as odds. Probability or odds. What is probability? Uh, it's, it's a branch of mathematics that measures the likelihood that a given event will occur. Okay? Odds or probabilities. It's a branch of mathematics that does what? That, that measures the likelihood of something happening. Okay? For instance, being struck by lightning... Your odds are 1 in 700,000, okay? Just give you some figure for this, right? Uh, any, okay, being struck by lightning, you're 1 in 700,000. Being killed by lightning, you're 1 in 2 million, all right? Okay, now if you're walking on the golf course and there's a lightning storm and you're holding the club up, you probably increase your odds. So you, you probably don't want to do things like that. All right, you know what the odds are that one of you are going to become the next president? 1 in 10 million. Okay, it's just math. This isn't 1-800 or 900 or whoever fortune teller. This is math, all right? The odds of a meteorite landing on your house is 1 in 180 trillion. So I'm feeling pretty good about that one. What about you? I have to tell you this. The odds that you will die are 1 to 1. Okay, thought you'd see that. All right, now... Let's look at this. So using these things, the formulas, mathematical formulas, to define the probability that something will likely occur. Take. So I've kind of took you through it, all right? So there are 300 prophecies in the Old Testament about Christ. 
what he would do. Now think of this, 300. That one man would come along somewhere in the entire history of the human race and fulfill those 300 prophecies. Some of them over a thousand years before he came, right? So let's talk about odds and chance. Biblical prophecy is one of the greatest proofs that the Bible is the word of God and not just man or myth or fable. So watch this. 300 prophecies. Even with our mathematical ability and the professor, Dr. Peter Stoner, author of Science Speaks, who did this study, he felt that he couldn't accurately do it with 300, even with all the technology, computers, everything we have. So he did it with eight out of 300. Are you ready? Eight. What are the odds that one man would come along and fulfill just eight of the 300? All right? He picked these eight. Christ was to be born in Bethlehem, the scripture Micah 5.2, fulfillment. Uh, Christ to enter Jerusalem riding on a donkey, Zechariah 9.9. Christ to be betrayed by a friend, uh, Psalm 41.9. Christ to be betrayed for 30 pieces of silver, Zechariah 11.12. 30 pieces of silver cast down and used to buy a potter's field, Zechariah 11.13. Although innocent, Christ kept silent when on trial, Isaiah 53.7. That Christ would be crucified on a cross, Psalm 22.16. All right? So he just picked eight. There are 300. So to answer the question, what is the probability of one man fulfilling all eight prophecies? All right, they applied the principles of probability, multiplied the probabilities, and the number is one times 10 to the 28th power. I don't think we got a number. Okay, there will be 10,000, 10 million, 10 billion, 10 trillion. And then there's one, two, three, four, five more sets of three zeros, 10 to the 28. How do you like those odds? That's eight. So the odds that the Old Testament could be lucky or chance or myth or fable, are you with me? When they talked about somebody named Jesus who hadn't been born yet, who would do things nobody had ever done or dared to even talk about, the odds that Eight of those fulfilled. One times 10 to the 28th power. And if you multiply it out to the 300, it's not just one time more each time. It's exponentially increases every time you do that. So I would have to say, looking at scripture and looking at math and doing your science, North Alabama, technology, North Alabama, huh? if you want to do the math, that's evident, you're going to discover there is no way that you can say the prophecies in the Old Testament about Christ were random, luck, coincidence, fable, trumped up. That's a poor term nowadays. Let me try something else. Uh, sorry, just never mind. Uh, that fake news, sorry. Let me think of another thing. Let me think. If there was another way to look at this, what we have to say? It couldn't be coincidence. There's absolutely no way. You, to, to, to say, you do that math and they give it any other explanation but that it was the hand of God, you're just not being honest. And, but, but that's where we are today. I don't want to believe that. I don't want to think about that. Because if the Bible is true, then I'm responsible to a great God. Because if the Bible is true, I'm a sinner. Because the Bible is true, the only way I can be forgiven is except Christ. Because if the Bible is true, my behavior, whether I like it or not, I'm responsible before God 
about how I live and how I behave myself. You see what I'm saying? And so what, what we have, so, so let me come back around to you. Do, you. do you understand this? And I'm going to close with this. Do you see why this is such a struggle in our culture today? It's crept into the church. It creeps in other areas. People simply don't want to have the faith to say, I believe this is the word of God. Even with the evidence that is undeniable, people just don't want to say it. Why? Either they're pressured from what people say around them, or you're told you're unintelligent if you believe that, or it's illogical, or you're irresponsible, or it's not documentable. I think we've done a lot of all those things tonight. But the bottom line is, you and I have to make a decision. Do I believe God is who he says he is? And the only way I can believe that is he revealed himself through this scripture. It affects everything. You see, that affects every decision you make all day long, every day. How am I going to treat the people around me? How am I going to love my family? What am I going to do when somebody hurts my feelings? Well, if I'm not a Christian, what am I going to do to become a Christian? How am I going to go to heaven? How am I going to be forgiven? What am I going to do? Well, what does the Bible say about those things? And see, if we try to build a church without the Bible being the foundation, we're in trouble. What are we going to do? Have a business meeting and vote every time somebody, you know, well, Pastor, uh, Mr. So-and-so wants to come to Calvary. And he thinks that he ought to be able to come be a member and be on the board of the church. And now, he's got four wives, but he doesn't think anything's wrong with that. Well, and Miss, Miss, Mrs. XYZ, she felt like she wants to come to church, to Calvary. And she wants to come sing and be on the worship team. And she doesn't understand why you won't let her on the worship team. She's got a husband and two boyfriends, but she doesn't think there's anything wrong with that. I mean, it's 2018. And then, and, and then there's, then there's uh, uh, somebody else, uh, Mr. ZYT, and, and he says he thinks there's not a thing in the world wrong at his life group, dinner for eight at his house, when he passed marijuana around. He always feels closer to God when he's high. So who, I mean, made him feel good. He said it made him feel good. And he liked it. And who are you to tell him? And who? See, that's the whole thing. I love, 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 love when they ask me that question. Who do you think you are to tell me that? I said, I'm so glad you asked me that because I don't think I'm anybody. But I think God Almighty is the one who said it. And so we're just going to say, what did God say? See, it doesn't matter what you and I think. But if you and I can't come to the place we believe the Bible's word of God, then we're going to find alternative solutions for everything we're dealing with. And you know what the sad thing about that is? The Bible says when you know the truth, the truth sets you free. And so if you don't believe the Bible, you never get set free. You're just fighting all your life, trying to do it your way, trying to do it your way, finding substitutes and counterfeits, and you live your whole life, and you've never been free one day in your life. you got excuses, and, and you got problems, and you can blame other people, and you can point at people, but you're never set free. You never find Christ. And, and, and people that have once known Christ... And have allowed themselves to become entangled in sin again. You know what happens to them? Let me, let me tell you something. If you've known the Lord and you fall away from God, I'm going to tell you. It, it, most of the time, it's harder to come back then than it was the first time. But if that person doesn't absolutely believe this is the word of God, because it not only tells us what's right or wrong, it tells us who makes it right. That's Jesus. And it gives us hope. Nobody else gives us hope. See, Christianity is unlike any other religion because it's not a religion. Every religion says, if you're, you're away from God and you've got to earn your way to him. Christianity says, you're away from God and Jesus earned a way back to him. It's the only way that we find that. So if we don't believe this Bible, we don't know how to be saved. 
We don't know how to go to heaven. We don't know how to avoid hell. We don't know how to be set free. And so life becomes a series of substitutes and counterfeit. But if you just surrender yourself to say, God, it's not what I think. It's not what I want to do. It, it's, it, it's what do you say? I believe you're who you say you are. I believe you do what your word says you will do. You know what happens in your life? You have an authority in your life then. You have a confidence in your life then. You have a way to make decisions. You have a way to, to decide, what am I going to do with my life? What is my career going to be? What kind of person am I going to marry? What kind of parent am I going to be? What kind of spouse am I going to be? What kind of integral person am I going to be? And you begin to be someone you can count on. And your family can count on you. And your neighbors can count on you. And your coworker can count on you. And, you know, oftentimes people, uh, it's kind of like, uh, <laughs> you know, we're, we're like, and I'm, I'm, I'm you know, I'm winding up, uh, we're, we're kind of like, you know, we think the Bible's kind of like being on Facebook or Instagram. You know, if we just say, I like it, it's all good. Like. Well, like's not the same as doing. I mean, you understand what I'm saying? You're with me. So it's kind of like, we want to, like I said, we want to come to church and, you know, amen, like. I like, oh, I like that sermon, like, you know. And now you got all this stuff drives me bad tea, uh, where it's like love, like, uh, what's all those other three or four things you can put on there? And then if you're in a cotton-picking group text and then everybody, anyway. If you want to tell me something, why do you have to tell 28 other people, just tell me. I don't want to be with those other, because then all 28 of them have their response. And just the time that's over, then they all start liking, loving, with emotion, kind. Good night, Irene. What in the world? Who has the time for that? And your phone, bing, 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 bing. Oh, what? Trying to do something here. What are you? Anyway. Whatever you want to do. Then you got emojis. Who's going to get to figure all that out? What does a different color heart mean? I don't know. I don't want to know. I don't care. Just say what you mean. Don't make me figure out a cartoon to know what you're talking about. What in the world? What in the stinking world? I'm a grown man. I got to talk with cartoons? Sheep. Sorry, I just. People can't talk anymore. You can't talk. What do you think? I just asked you a question. What do you think? All right. So I think we've got, we're at a place where we want to say, I believe in God, but do you believe God? See the difference? See, we, 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 we've come to the place to say, I believe God can. What I want to know is, do you believe God will? You understand? We, it's not just enough to say, oh, that was a good sermon. No, am I living that truth out? See, the Bible says there were two houses. And one built his house on the rock and one built his house on the sand. The same storm came to both of them. Okay. But at the end of the storm, the house on the rock was standing. The one on the sand was gone. And this is the only thing the Bible says was different. The man whose house stood, who was built on a rock, was a man that when he heard the word, he did it. So they both heard the word. They both went to church on Sunday. They both liked the sermon. They both had a red heart emoji by it. But one guy did it. 
See, he said, God, uh, listen, how would, I don't know, you're single. God, you know, uh, I really, I, I got to think of new words. I'm not talking anymore. I, I really like this person, God. I don't mean like, like on that, you like them, like them. Like the way the word really meant, you like, I really like this person. But, you know, they're not a believer. They don't honor God. They wouldn't know the Bible if it fell off the shelf and hit him in the head. They, they don't respect your faith, but I'm lonely. And they're good looking. And I don't want to be alone anymore. He's handsome. He's got a job. He could be my sugar daddy. Hmm, let's see. Let's look in the concordance here. Sugar daddy. Don't see that one there. Kind of missing mine. I don't know about yours. And then, and then you come over here and you go, uh, you know, you're reading. Don't be unequally yoked with an unbeliever. Well, um, what that really means, unequally means that um, they're... That if they say they will never, ever believe in God, come on, man. Who are you fooling? See, so what you say is, come on, I'm in a situation where in myself I want to go this way. But I know this word says what I'm supposed to do. So I'm going to trust God and I'm going to line not only my belief but my behavior up with this word. And watch Almighty God do what he said he would do. And save you from a life of misery and bring his will into your life. At work, you don't have to lie. Okay? You know, you don't lie. You don't play the game. You don't do... Why? Because I believe God meant what he said. And if I'll do what he said, God's going to honor that in my life. And I'm going to get to discover the hand of God interacting with me. And God doing what I could never do. And, I, and my faith grows. You understand? My relationship grows. And my trust in him grows. But every relationship has a point of origin. Every trust has a place it begins. And the more you trust this word and believe his word and walk in his word, guess what happens? That living word gets in you and now you begin to have life and wisdom and knowledge and understanding. Do you see? Every decision in your life is going to come back to, is this the word of God? Everything I encounter. This isn't a theory. I know, I know I'm, I kind of laid a lot of information out, but this isn't a theory. This is life. This is life. And it works. It's, it's mathematically proven to be beyond coincidence that is true. I want you to stand with me. And, and I want us to pray together tonight. I want to encourage you to stand on the word of God. Listen, guys, there have been times in my life I had nothing left but his word. Anybody hear what I'm saying? My emotions were all over the place because I was disappointed, because something didn't happen when I wanted it to, how I thought it would. Uh, you understand what I'm saying? All I had was a word of God. Emotions were shot. <laughs> Circumstances were bad. And, and it looks like, you know, what, what are you going to do? Just fold your tent and go home. But you say, I've got a promise here. I've got a promise. Not made by man. Made by God. And I believe God's worth waiting on. Anybody believe that? I believe he's worth waiting on. I believe his word is true. And you, and you begin to take this word. You know, it's, it's, have you ever said, man, I wish I could have.
been there and heard Jesus preach or I wish that God would talk to me like he did to Elijah or just come like he did to Elisha. Well, he told you what he told him. So you get to hear the very thing they heard. See, the question is, am I going to do what they did when they heard the word of God? Do I have to hear it the way they did? Here it is written, you know, this is it. It's the word of God. If I do this, he's with me like he was with Elisha. He's like me with he was like Elijah. He's with you like he was with Paul and Peter. He's like you, with you, like anyone you read here. Because it's his word. So let's pray tonight that we trust the word of God. I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to have to catch up on some questions. You guys hit me with a lot of them tonight. And, and, and that's cool. I'm glad you did. Uh, it's, it's the, uh, there's so many. And I, I'm over time now. I'm two, I'm two minutes into overtime. And uh, so I got a man, I got a can it. Woo! See, I, the, more questions tonight on this than anything else. You know why? Because this is what you deal with more than anything else. But you have to come to recognize that. I mean, why do we need the Bible? Look at this question. And I don't downplay this at all. Hey, somebody asked me last week if you're in addiction, in addiction, you're battling addiction, we're talking about, you know, a willful sin. And once they've always saved last week, listen to me. If you are in the battle, if you're reaching for the goal, are you with me? If you're walking and walk serving God, you're battling addiction, you're, you know, you're three steps forward and two steps back, you know, but you keep going. You're not willfully turning your back on God. You understand you're in the game. You're in the fight. Everybody understand? Aren't you thankful for that? You, you may not be free yet, but you're moving to freedom. You're moving towards your goal. You just keep going. Amen? So that's, that's, that's not that. Man, there's some things here, guys. I just want you to get... Why the red letters in some Bibles? That's just what Jesus said. Okay, the whole thing's a word of God, but they're quoting some Bibles have a red letter edition that allow him to that just see you see the words of Jesus. That doesn't mean that those words are different than any other words. It's just letting you know he said them. Every word in the Bible is on an equal basis, all right? It's God's word. Let's pray together. I, this is what I sense in my heart for you tonight. I really sense that there are people in this room tonight, as I prayed for you today that you're wanting to believe the scripture but you're struggling your mind is saying come on man how do you know how do you know well I tried to do some research and bring you the math and the probabilities and the odds I tried to show you some things but I got to be honest with you it comes down to faith in God you trust him do you know that every relationship you've ever had in life you had to trust you had to trust you had to start somewhere and trust and see if this works. Can I tell you something? God will never disappoint you. But you have to trust him. You have to trust him. Somewhere's trust. I used to scare Phyllis to death. Those two, two little girls. I, I don't know why I did this. I, anyway, I'd set them on the refrigerator and say, jump. And they'd fire off that thing like a rocket. I'd catch them. They had to trust me, didn't they? Why'd they trust me? Well, I was their dad and I hadn't let them down. I didn't turn my back when they jumped. I didn't say jump and walk off. 
when God gives you his word, he's going to catch you. He's going to be there. Every relationship has a place of trust. Tonight, your future standing on will you trust the word of God. Now let me, let me plead with you. If you don't know this word, how are you going to trust it? How are you going to obey it? So you read, you read. You find a translation, not a paraphrase, a translation, and you read. Listen, the, I, I preach out of the New International Version. That's written on a third grade level, and I chose it on purpose. Third. So don't tell me, oh, I can understand that old English. Nah, don't pull that. You, there, there are translations you can understand. You can get it. And you have the Holy Spirit living in you, helping you understand the whole time you read. You can read the Word. So, read it.